the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Well, folks, welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman. I hope you're having a great day out here in uh, the crazy world that is Southern California. Anyway, uh, this particular show, number one, we have to get to some business, meaning that we have to talk about what's going on politically as far as your Second Amendment rights are concerned. So I want to get that in our first segment here. I'm actually going to be playing a clip from Colin Waugh, uh, who's a great spokesman for the Second Amendment, yeah, the Pew Pew Life. And anyway, he's a pretty funny guy. But he's done a review on H.R. 127, and he's done it better than I can. So I'm going to let him do it for you. So that'll be coming up here. And it's it's amazing when we hear people talking about um, going to Texas, right? Leaving California, they're going to go to Texas. Well, Texas has its share of crazy Congress people just like we do. Now, it's true. We have Adam Schiff, Judy Chu, Pistolus Petey Aguilar. We have some of the worst of Diane Waters or Maxine Waters. Some of the worst Congress people in the United States do come from this area. But Houston, you have a problem. Houston has somebody who could fit in in Southern California in the congressional scene like nobody's business, and that's Sheila Jackson Lee. She is a radical. Um, you know, I think when you hear the term progressive, think envious. That they're just envious people. When you think of socialist, think of angry. So a progressive socialist is a, an angry, envious person, and all of their activities resemble that. And they just simply like to destroy America. So when we take a look at this, I'm going to play this clip here with Colin. She has introduced a bill called H.R. 127, H.R.'s House of Representatives. That is a nationwide bill. That means if you move to Texas, you're still under that. Uh, if you move to Wyoming or Utah or whatever, you still have to deal with this if you're in the United States. So H.R. 127 is set up by Sheila Jackson Lee. Now, this is a clip from Colin Noir off of his channel. So I'm going to play this for you real quick here. It's a few minutes long and we'll pick it up on the other end. So here's his take on this. And wow, this is this is something we need to fight. So here you go, folks. Not too long ago, I did a video about Texas House Representative Sheila Jackson Lee introducing H.R. 127, which is a gun control bill that would require gun licensing, registration, and a partial ammunition ban. At the time, the text of the bill wasn't available, but the text is available now, and it's pure grade A unadulterated f***ery. 
Normally, I'd read a bill like this and just smirk because I knew it would have a hard time passing. That's not the case now because the Democrats have the House, the Senate and the White House, and they're going for broke. Remember when I did that video about universal background checks and I said that the real goal of a universal background check was to use it as an excuse to create a gun registry? Well, Sheila Jackson just said, playing coy. We have the House, the Senate and the White House. Let's just put our tatas on the table and just require registration outright. And that's exactly what H.R. 127 does. This bill will require you to send a list to the ATF of every make, model, and serial number of every single gun you own and buy. You'll also have to tell the government where you'll be storing each gun, and you'll have three months to do all of this. But here's where it gets real sexy. All that information you just gave to the government, including where you'll be keeping all of your guns, will be accessible to the public. That means Pookie, Chan, Chester, and Eduardo will not only know what guns you have, they'll know exactly where you keep them. This isn't a registry, it's a shopping list for criminals because they now know exactly where to go and what to look for when they come and rob you because they'll have a list of all of your guns in a PDF file. Understand that there are 400 million guns in this country. The government has to hire people to log all of that data. Guess where they're going to go to get the money to do this? You. So congratulations. Not only will you be forced to tell criminals exactly where your guns are, you paid to do it. The bill will also require that you have a license to simply possess a gun and ammunition. And if you're 18, 19, or 20, you can go to war, you can get married and start a family, but you can't protect your family because you won't be able to get this license unless you're 21. To get this license, you have to get a background check, get a psychological evaluation, and complete 24 hours of training. And once you get this license, you have to get an insurance policy. Keep in mind, you already have to get a background check when you buy a gun in the first place. So now you have to do it twice, when you get a license, and again, when you actually go to get a gun. The psychological evaluation will be conducted by a licensed psychologist approved by the attorney general. Mark Garland is likely to be Biden's attorney general. This is the same guy who, when a man wanted the right to be able to own a gun in his home and the court agreed, Merrick Garland wanted the case to be done over again. So I'm sure this psychologist will be incredibly impartial when it comes to deciding who's mentally fit enough to own a firearm. Not carry, but to simply own a firearm. Speaking of impartiality, guess who one of the people the bill requires a psychologist to interview to determine your psychological state? Your ex-wife or ex-husband. So the person who likely isn't too fond of you at best and absolutely hates your guts at worst will now be in a position to strip you of your Second Amendment rights. Oh, and if you've ever been diagnosed and hospitalized for depression, you won't be able to own a gun. Even if you admitted yourself to the hospital. Great job, Sheila Jackson Lee. Let's just give people who are struggling with depression an incentive to hide it and not to get the help that they need for fear that they'll have the right to defend themselves taken away from them. Now I want you to ask yourself this question. If I'm a single parent mother working two jobs, working seven days a week just to make ends meet, where am I going to get the time to do 24 hours of training if I want a gun to protect my family living in a crime-ridden neighborhood? That's who these types of training requirements hurt. She loses money when she has to take off of work, and she loses money when she has to pay for this training class. And she still may not even get the license to simply own a gun because her ex-husband, who may have been an abusive, gaslighting psychopath who wants her to remain in a weak position, may end up telling a psychologist during the interview that he believes that she's mentally unfit to own a gun. 
Not to mention, do you know how much a firearm trainer has to charge to make a course that accumulates to 24 hours worth training economically viable? 12 hours worth of training can cost thousands of dollars. Keep in mind, you have to pay to renew this license every year for five years. Then it's every three years. And then on top of that, you have to pay the government $800 every year for firearm insurance. Congratulations, Sheila Jackson Lee. You just turned firearm ownership into a luxury only the 1% and the elite can afford. Oh, and I almost forgot. See those guns on the wall behind me? Apparently under HR 127, I won't be able to have those guns up there unless they are antique guns. And I have an antique firearm display license where I've supplied proof that it's an antique and told the government where and how I plan to display the firearm in my own house and if you own an ar-15 or any semi-auto gun that they think looks scary you have to get a separate license on top of the general license to own it but the standard magazine that comes with the gun can't own those because they hold more than 10 rounds so you have to turn those in now i want you to take in all of the rules and regulations and laws that i just spelled out in this bill and now i want you to realize that if you happen to break any of these rules the consequences aren't like getting a ticket No, 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 no. You'd be facing up to hundreds and thousands of dollars in fines as well as decades in prison. People, we already have 300 gun laws on the federal level and 20,000 on the state and local level. Tons of people break these laws every day and don't even realize it. And Sheila Jackson Lee wants to add even more laws. This is the 94 crime bill all over again. It's sad because where do you think they're going to enforce these laws? You think they're going to enforce them in the elite, in the rich people's neighborhoods? No, 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 no. They're going to enforce them in your neighborhood. This bill is pure insanity. And the only reason she can get away with it is because the House, the Senate, and the White House are being run by one party. I know a lot of you are asking, well, what can I do to stop it? The way you stop it is to let your voices be heard. Remember, the people in Congress are voted in, not appointed. So they only do what they think they can get away with. So if you let them know that if they continue with bills like this, that they'll lose your vote and enough people call, email and mail, letting them know this. Trust me, they'll back off. People in Congress don't want to lose their seat. And if they think voting for something like this will jeopardize their reelection, trust me, they'll stay away from it. So if you're watching this video, you need to reach out to your representative and Sheila Jackson Lee and let them know to drop HR 127 now or they'll have to pay for it when the election comes along. Right now, there's a culture war against the Second Amendment, which is why I need your help spreading our message to counter their message. You can help do this by leaving a comment, sharing this video and clicking the bell and subscribe button. Let my voice be your voice and let them know you want to keep America tactical because the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed wasn't a suggestion. It was a directive. That's right, folks. I want to thank Colin Waugh for the, uh, this is a great job he does. You know, you can see him on YouTube. He's got his own website and stuff, and he's out there all the time. But I thought he put that together very, very well. We'll touch on a couple of points on that when we come back here. I mean, our goal was to, this week, was to talk about reloading since, you know, there's such an ammo shortage. But, you know, Washington never seems to disappoint. If it's not Washington, it's Sacramento or Excremento, right? So anyway, folks, that's what we're dealing with. We're going to be coming right back here and talk a little bit more about that. And we'll be right back after this. FiringLineRadio.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! 
Hey folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. You know that every week we're going to talk about the Second Amendment, supporting, defending, encouraging people about the Second Amendment. And one of our longtime sponsors in that has been Vince Torres of Bullseye Sports, Guns and Ammo in Riverside. If you haven't been down there yet, well, shame on you. You need to head on down there. He's on the corner of Brockton and Arlington in, or Brockton and Central in Riverside. Great little store, not a little store. He's got a great store down there and just check it out. You need big guns, small guns, whatever you need. He's got it. And that's Bullseye Sports, Guns and Ammo in Riverside, 951-823-0211, bullseyesport.com. Check them out. If you already have your firearm, check them out for some training classes because we all need that. Okay, folks, we just heard a great clip from Colin Noir and uh, talking about HR 127. Now, We've all thought that California is the only place with crazy people uh, in Congress, but that is simply not true. This one is started by a Texas congressperson. You know, Houston, you have a problem. It's Sheila Jackson Lee. And it's nationwide. We need to look at this as a nationwide situation. If you talk, if you listen to a couple of the things he talked about there, that's very onerous. I mean, to in three months have to report everything you own and expect the government to get it right, uh, which will never happen, right? You know, if you want your gun, you can keep your gun. Joe Biden might as well come out and say that. But the public information of everything you own, that is treacherous. Asking how is it stored? Where is it stored? Uh, the requirements for training. We train all the time, but to have a paid class, once you have to, once it's forced, now all of a sudden there's a monetary incentive in there that everybody has to have. And if you've got 200 million gun owners in the country and they all have to go through training, uh, what is that going to do, right? It's an absolute disaster. And in the name of safety, Sheila Jackson Lee is trying to hijack our rights. And our, these are our rights. These are our God-given rights. These are not suggestions. We don't have the right to go deer hunting, right? We, we don't have the right to go target shooting. We have the right to own firearms for our self-defense personally and against, and against a government that has got out of line. That's why the, the founders wrote it. That's why they put it in there. They put in the free and fair press, which is already gone, as we've seen that in the last election. And the Second Amendment is right there. That's number two. It's that important that they put it in there. So it's it's something that we have to defend. Speaking of defense, we actually had a victory in California because in Excremento, we have, again, all crazy people. And I'm all for getting rid of Gavin Newsom. I cannot stand that man. He is the second least favorite politician of mine behind Barack Obama is Gavin Newsom. They are one and two. They, and sometimes it's one and two and two and one. They switch, they switch places there. Um, they're so high on my, on my uh, love fest level. Um, I am glad to see him possibly being recalled. I think it's important that he is recalled, but in California voting down ticket is so important. The problem is, our lieutenant governor is just as bat guano crazy as Gavin Newsom. And the next one down the line is we have a, an entire roster, backbenchers of crazy progressive socialists running the state. We really have to start correcting it. And, and like I said, we're talking about, about Houston. If Houston goes, the country goes. And that's 
if Houston, if Texas goes, the country goes, we're all looking at the same thing here, folks. So it's important that we fight. Even if you plan on leaving out of state, I don't care while you're here, fight. You have to continue to fight. All right. Oh, I forgot to tell you about the victory. <laughs> we actually had a victory. I, I don't forget that. We had a crazy state legislator came out and said that he wanted to ban all bear hunting in California. Now, I hunt, right? We, that's no secret. But let me tell you a little bit about bear hunting itself. Years ago, they removed the uh, use of bait, hunting bears over bait, which is really the way it's done nationwide. Then a few years back, they removed the use of dogs. Now, that's the second best way to to get to get a, a bear is using them dogs, and, and it's an amazing way to hunt them. But that's no longer allowed in California. So in California, for the last 40 years that I can I remember, we've had a quota of 1,700 bears taken per year. And once that 1,700 is taken, they stop, they stop the hunt. It could be in November, it could be in December, but whenever it is, it's over. And that 1,700 animal quota has allowed the bear population to continue to grow. It's not going backwards, it's going forwards. You see all the problems we've had in Mammoth and Tahoe and any place at you know, Jellystone Park. Uh, any place up there, you're going to have problems with a lot of bears. Now, when they stopped the use of dogs in pursuing bears, we went from 1,700 bears a year to about 900 to 1,000. So that's an extra 800 to 900 bears a year breeding, growing, you know, attacking Jellystone Park. And it's caused a huge problem. So to stop all bear hunting in California, bears will still be killed. They'll just be killed by the government. And, you know, once the government gets involved, man, you've never seen an environmental catastrophe like one with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or National Park Service attached to it. And uh, just take a look at the Santa Rosa Islands if you don't know what that's all about. Okay. But that was our victory. That was withdrawn. At this point in time, it's been withdrawn. So congratulations, everybody who worked on that. All right. Now let's talk about something fun. Now, what I mean by fun is in your quest for ammunition in the last six months, you've probably been less than successful in many areas. Uh, you're just not seeing pallets of nine millimeter or 223 or 22 long rifle, even a 12 gauge. You know, you used to go down and pick up a half a case of those every weekend and it's just not there. So you're going to need to become more self-reliant and that involves reloading. Now, in all fairness, it's very hard to get some reloading components and some equipment, but I just want to talk to you about it to give you a, a rounded up idea of what's involved what you should be looking for. If you see any primers on the shelf, you should buy them and we'll explain what they are later. But anyway, so let's get into reloading. Metallic reloading means that we're dealing with a cartridge case to, uh, that's of brass. It can be nickel, but 99% of the time, it's going to be a brass cartridge reloading. We're talking about centerfire reloading. Even though we did have Dan Smichko on from Cutting Edge Bullets talking about reloading 22 long rifles, that's very, very specialized. Matter of fact, I think he's the only one that has that kit. So this is all for what's called center fire cartridges, which is your typical nine millimeter, 38 special, 308, 65 Creedmoor, you know, 300 rum. All of those are metallic cartridges that take a center fire primer. The primer is the little disc in the back of the cartridge. So if you flip one over and it says, you know, 30-06 Remington 
or Springfield 30 out six uh, made by Remington, you'll see the head stamp on the back end of it. That tells you what the cartridge is in most cases, right in the center of that is a hole. Now, if it's been decapped, it's, there's a hole. If not, there's a primer in it. That is one of the most critical forms of reloading. There's been a huge run on primers. And if you can find them, they're going to cost you probably a nickel a piece, maybe more. Um, they used to be about a penny a piece. So it's a 500% increase in, in value on that. That's where we're, what we're looking at right now. So if you can find primers, you can't reload without them. And it's extremely important that if you do get some, just set some aside for yourself. Primers come in different sizes, different sizes and different strengths or power factors, if you will. So in pistol reloading, you have small pistol primers. A small pistol primer is for nine millimeter, 38 special. Well, those are the most common, but anything under, um, 38 357 and lower is going to be a small pistol primer. Okay. 357 and above takes a large primer. Now, in the small category, you have small regular and small magnum. Obviously, a 38 special would take a small regular primer. 357 would take a small magnum primer. Um, it's a magnum primer because it's hotter. It throws out a, a bigger flame. It's to light more powder. And the powder is what's inside your cartridge that causes the pressure to push the barrel, the bullet down the barrel. So we have small primers, small magnum primers. On rifles, we have small rifle primers, which you'll see in a 223. Small rifle magnum, maybe something like a WSSM cartridge would take a small rifle magnum or a, a 240. No, it's a, that would be a large. Anyway, um, there are very few instances you're going to need a small <laughs> rifle magnum primer. <laughs> Nothing I can think of offhand. Then you have large rifle. Large rifle is basically anything from the 22250 up, and that's because it uses a, a, a Savage cartridge for that. But in Savage, the 308s, all of those 243s, those are all going to take large rifle primers. And then on top of that are large rifle magnum. And we'll pick it up uh, when we come back here about why you would need the difference between a large rifle and a large rifle magnum uh, at firinglineradio.com. Check out our podcast, firinglineradio.com and uh, go over to gab, gab gab.com. We're starting up over there as we learn this new world that we're in. God bless you. Be right back after this. Have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your second amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay 
Lay down your weapons! Persians! Come and get them! Hey folks, welcome back to Mulan Lave Saturday. Philip Naiman, we're talking here about reloading and, uh, and bemoaning the lack of reloading components that are available. But anyway, I still want to get this information out to you. Also, if you heard our first section here, we're talking about HR 127. That's in the House of Representatives, Bill 127, uh, put out by uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. She's the uh, hungry, hungry hypocrite. Um, you'll see out there, she's just, man, she's... She's just dismal. I just I don't know how else to describe her policies. They're horrific. Um, anything you care about, she's trying to destroy. So that's an important thing that we need to watch out for there, folks. So backing off, going back to the fun stuff, the reloading, we just were talking about primers. Primers are extremely important. Well, you can't reload without them. The firearm simply won't fire. So different types of primers. We have small rifle. Small rifle magnum, large rifle, large rifle magnum. So a large rifle primer would be in something like a 22250, a 243, a 308, the 65s, all the Creed Moors, um, 260 Remington, 270, 30-06, and probably stalls out around the 35 Whelan category as far as um, powder. Now, the large rifle primers have a certain flame that they send out that burns efficiently up to about 60, 65 grains of powder. Okay. After that, you need a little hotter primer. So that's when you would find something called a large rifle magnum primer. What are you going to see that in? You're going to see that in your seven mags and the, the 300 wind mags and the 300 PRCs, 308 Normas, 375 H and H. Um, 300 ROMs, all of those are going to take, you know, the STW, 6.5 STW. Uh, they're all going to take the Magnum primers because they're burning between 65 and 120 grains of powder. That's a huge category. But if you've got a 33.78, that still takes a large rifle Magnum primer, the same as a 300 wind mag, even though it's burning in some cases, almost twice as much powder. So that's the difference on that. You do, you never, ever want to switch primers unless the recipe in the reloading manual tells you to. What I mean by switch primers is, hey, it's hard to find primers right now. So all I found was large rifle magnum primers. I want to put that in my 6.5 Creedmoor. You could have some serious problems because it will increase the the pressure on the cartridge. So you never switch back. Um, And you may not want to go with a large rifle and try and ignite 90 grains of powder because you could have a hang fire. There's, it's wrong. Just don't do it. Okay. Be safe. Just don't do it. I don't care if you can't find what you need, then <laughs> trade with somebody who has what you need, but don't switch magnums and standards back and forth. You're going to have either pressure issues or hang fire issues, neither of which are good. And actually reloading is extremely safe. Uh, you follow the rules it's extremely safe. You break the rules. Well, you're not reloading. You're experimenting with uh, incendiaries. And that's not, a, that's not a smart way to go. Okay. So talked about primers, talked about our, our cartridges. You don't want to reload any aluminum cartridges. If you're at the range, you look down, you see something that's gray, maybe it's steel. Those are not reloadable. 
So the 762 by 39s that are laying all over the place, those are steel. That's not a reloadable component. Um, the Blazer aluminum ammunition in the pistol ranges, that's aluminum. It's not a reloadable component. You, you're looking for either the nickel or the brass cartridges. And again, most things are hard to find right now, but if you're out of the range or outdoor range or something like that, you can find a couple hundred laying around and then you're off to the, the races. One of the most popular cartridges out there is the 223 or 556, right? Everybody has an AR-15 and if you don't, you should go get one, but, or get two, one for each hand. So when you got your AR-15s, you're, you're shooting your 223 and it's kicking your brass out. So a lot of people who are out shooting and many of them at the outdoor ranges leave their brass. They don't go back and pick it up. So if you are picking up brass and if you're picking up 223 and 556, realize that some of it has a special kind of primer on it where it's, let's just say it's pinned. Um, if it's Bernan primed, you'll find out when it uh, breaks your, your decapping pin. But if you want to reload 223 and 556, you'll need to get a specialized piece of equipment called a primer swager because if it was military grade ammunition, they have a special crimp around the back of the primer that holds it in. And so even though you can decap it, and we'll talk about decapping in a second here, when you try and put a new primer in, it won't fit. You'll smash your primer, jam your press, waste your time, and then say, why didn't Philip tell me about that? That's why I'm telling you about it now. So you're going to need a primer swager. Um, I use the one from Dylan. It's a very simple process. I mean, it just, it just takes time, but you know, Hey, you've, if you're home at COVID, you've got all kinds of time. Might as well reload. So your 223, your 556, especially if it's if it's brass you're not familiar with, inspect it. Make sure there's no cracks. And make sure there's not very big dings in the neck, which sometimes happen out of a semi-auto. And when you uh, after you decap it, make sure you run it through your swager before you try and prime that. Okay, so that's an important thing on military, and I think it happens with some 308 brass also. That's pretty much the only two I think you need to, to worry about for that. All right. So do, 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 do. the next thing we're going to talk about is powder. So we have our primer. We have our cartridge. We have the right primer inside the cartridge. The next thing is our gunpowder. Gunpowder is very specific with what's called a burn rate. So pistol ammunition, or excuse me, pistol powders, powders designed for pistols and shotguns have a much quicker burn rate than those uh, designed for rifles. And it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, if you put a little pile down and put a match on it, it's hard to tell exactly which one is faster than the other. I mean, you certainly wouldn't want to try that with black powder because that's an explosive, not a, not a burn, a slow burn like the powders are. But just know if you've got a powder like Unique or Blue Dot, um, anything labeled for pistol, it is not, you cannot switch it into a rifle. The pressures it will create are terrible. So you, you could injure yourself very, very, very severely. So again, if you follow the rules, follow the recipes that you find in the Sierra, the Hornaday, the Nosler manuals, follow those rules, you're fine. If it tells you to use three grains of unique, use three grains of unique. That would be for a pistol cartridge. If it tells you to use 15 grains of H110 in your 357, then that's what you use. And I'm making up these numbers, so don't, these are not actual loads. These are, these are, ideas. Don't vary from what the book says and you won't have any problems. And 
And honestly, when they go through those books, they give very mild loads. Like they'll say, this is the maximum, maximum load. Well, if you look at some of the books that came out 30, 40 years ago, the maximum loads were five or six grains higher. All I'm saying is that modern reloading manuals are safe. They're in safe, safe ranges. And so they're safe. Um, in my in my opinion, every time I've used one of the book loads, I've never had a pressure problem. And that's that's an important thing. So powders. We have different types of powders, flake, spherical, and stick. So that's the way that works out. So your flake powders uh, are like the unique, the bullseye, they're pistol powders, they're in shotguns, they burn very, very quickly. They have a large surface area and uh, they're almost hollow. They really look like a small cereal flake, but, but very small. And you, it only takes three and a half, four and a half, five grains of powder in like a nine millimeter or 45 ACP, and you're off and running. One pound of powder has 7,000 grains. You measure powder in grains. So if you've got five grains of powder and was that 1500? Yeah. So if you had five grains of powder per cartridge and one pound of powder would get you about 1200 rounds. So that's how efficient pistol cartridges are. Um, 1200 rounds per pound of powder, pound of powders in the $30 range, 30 to 40, depending on where you're shopping. Um, but you can get a lot of pistol ammunition done with very little powder as opposed to the large magnums. You know, my 300 rum has got almost a hundred grains of powder. So I get 70 rounds per pound of powder as opposed to 1200. Again, it's just the usage. So that's your powder. Um, some of the names you're going to see out there, there's different manufacturers. There's Alliant, there's Hodgden, there's IMR, there's DuPont, and they all make different types Everything has a different burn rate. The pistol powders are extremely, pistol powders are extremely fast. And the large rifle magnum powders that you're going to see in something like a 338 Lapua, 500, uh, 550 BMG, those big magnums are considered slow burning powders. It's almost imperceptible when you see them burning side by side, but that's what they're labeled as. And so there's a pistol powder burning, or excuse me, there's a powder burning chart that shows the fastest burning to the slowest burning. And you'll find that some, some cartridges react better in it with powders in a certain range than others. Again, the large magnum is going to be lower on that list. The uh, mid range are going to be in the, like, like a, uh, I don't say a 270 is going to be in a semi-slow burning uh, mid range, like a Creedmoor is going to be in the, the 4350 ranges, which is kind of in the middle section. So everything has its own use. And this is all public information you can get. Folks, we're going to come back here at Fireland Radio Show, talk one more segment about what's going on and uh, give you some more reloading information right back after this. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. 
CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. Hey folks, Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show, talking about reloading, 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 reloading. Now, I gave uh, the last section, we talked a little bit about the components that are involved here. I want to talk about the equipment that's involved. This equipment is industrial grade strength. I am using the same reloading press that I bought when I was 18 years old. And if you know me, you know I am a long ways from 18 years old. So this stuff is is basically bomb proof. I mean, I have an RCBS rock chucker and I have no idea how many rounds I've, I've reloaded on that, but it's in the, I don't know. It's a lot more than 20. So this is an investment you're making in equipment that lasts a very long time. I think it's important that you get equipment that works without electricity, right? Um, for whatever reason. And if you want to, to step up and, and progress and get automatic and electronic stuff, then that's fine too. But I think you should have a basic understanding of how to do it um, manually. And what that means is you have your press, which is a strange looking piece of equipment and it's extremely heavy and you need to have it on a bench. Okay. This is not something you're going to put on the kitchen table or the, the bar uh, in the kitchen it will destroy stuff. There's so much pressure involved uh, in the weight and the leverage on this that you really need to have a sturdy bench. It doesn't have to be pretty, but you, know, you slap some one-inch plywood and some four-by-fours together and get something that doesn't rock and is level and is solid, and then you drill your press into the wood so it doesn't wiggle, you're going to be way, way, way happier. The other part of that is when you go to weigh your your powder, you don't want any movement on the table. So a solid table doesn't have to be pretty. You don't have to go buy one. You can make one very easily, but a solid table or bench is absolutely critical. And the other thing is the height of it. I like to, to reload standing up. So I need a little higher bench than other people. So if you're going to make your own, consider the factor. You're going to be standing you're going to use a, a stool. You're going to sit down and create what you need to do for that. So I kind of like, personally, I stand when I, when I do mine, but it's not for if, respect for the flag or I just, I just stand anyway. Um, but you're creating your own. That's something cause it, it takes some time and you want to make sure that you're comfortable doing what you need to do. So the bench, the press, what the press does is it will help you form the brass. That's why it's so solid. And there's so much pressure on that. You take a spent cartridge and you put it, there's a Ram that goes vertically up into the press uh, when you pull the handle down, it pushes the ram up, it pushes the ram up into what are called dies, D-I-E-S. As the cartridge is placed in a shell holder on the ram and you pull the handle down, it goes straight up into the die. As it does that, number one, you need 
need a little bit of lubricant on it. But as it does that, you are reforming the brass cartridge to the original specifications or very, very close to it. So after a, after a cartridge goes off, because of the pressure involved, the brass cartridge expands. And then when it cools, it stays a little bit larger than when it was just before it fired. So when you put it in the die press and you resize it back to its original size, the neck opening where you'd see the bullet is now the right dimension. And also that first stage has a pin that goes through the center of the cartridge, taking the primer out. So you've just decapped it and now you've resized it. So your, your die does that now, excuse me, your press and die do that. I'm talking about what's called the rock chucker, which is a single stage. I think there's a rock chucker junior. And then there's even like a, a, a monster one above that. There are other kinds of presses available to you. Some are called turret presses. At least they used to be around. And what that allows you to do is to move your operations without having to unscrew the dies and screw the next one in. Sometimes that's a pain for people. Um, you know, if you just want to unload 20 at a time, you do one stage and then you turn the top of the turret to the next stage and continue and the next stage and continue. I think with a pistol round, that would be an efficient way to do it because in a pistol, you have an extra stage for pistol reloading. Anyway, so there are turret presses. There are also progressive presses and basically ammunition plants if you want to spend enough money for it. So the progressive load press, not progressive load, but the progressive press is the only time I like the word progressive, by the way. The progressive press, you'll take your cartridge. It'll go into the first stage. It does the same thing I talked about. And, and these are really more popular for pistol 223, 308 um, than they are for the really high precision long range cartridges. Most of the people I know that shoot precision long range prefer to do the single stage press because they weigh out their powder charges. They don't trust a powder dump solely. It's there, but it's not. Anyway, so the progressives are more efficient for using say nine millimeter, 45, 45 long Colt, uh, 223, 308. Those are the cartridges you're going to see most of, most often used 38s, 357s in a progressive because you shoot more pistol ammo than you shoot in rifle. And the powder throw for most target ammunition is not as important. And the pistol powder, not as important, meaning if you're off 0.001, it's not going to be an issue, but the powder that is used in pistol reloading and most 223 reloading meters better, M-E-T-E-R-S, it meters better. So when you're measuring by volume, it's more even and consistent with a flake or spherical powder than if it were a stick powder that you might see in a 308 or a 30 out six or 270 style reloading. Those powders do not meter as accurately consistently as a flake or a spherical powder. So if you are reloading 308 or 223, um, because they are rifle powders, I would say you should look for a spherical powder. If you're going to do bulk, if you're loading three, four, 500 at a time, um, 
the spherical powder makes a lot of sense. And that's would be like a Winchester 748 or 760, if you can find it, you know, those kind of powders work very, very well for, for those cartridges. And that's when you're making mass production, but the progressive loads, like the Dillon 650, 750, all the way up to the, whatever their new ammo plant is, they can take some work. Um, I'll tell you a quick horror story about mine. So I got a ton of 45 ACP brass and I thought I scored. What I didn't know is somebody out there likes to shoot 45 ACP with a small pistol primer, 45 gap. I think they call it. Um, I don't know why, but they do. So when your small pistol primer brass is mixed into a five gallon bucket of large pistol primer brass, you'll find out where the small pistol primers are uh, when it jams your machine. So, you know, it's important if you're going to do, do a progressive loader, then you really need to make sure that everything is in line because I had, I had nightmare after nightmare dealing with that. But once it's sorted out and you have all large primers or all small primers, but not mixed in together, it can be very, very efficient. And you can do, I don't know, depending upon which progressive loader you've got, um, you can do hundreds in an hour. So it depends on how fast you are too. But literally, if you're going to do nine millimeter, 45 ACP, the progressives are really the way to go. And, and you want to use a carbide die. Well, I think on the, on the progressives, they probably only offer those with a carbide die. Why would you want a carbide die? So you don't have to lube everything. Uh, you can just run the brass through. It's important if you're using a semi-automatic it's important that you clean the brass. So a lot of guys will tumble it first, then they'll resize it and uh, put it in the machine for the all the way through. If you're shooting a revolver, you know, clean brass is nice, but it's not as critical because you're placing those cartridges in. You're not working on a feed ramp, um, semi-automatic type situation. So those are what's involved in the dice. You're also going to need a way to measure the powder. And so again, if you're going to go linear in the linear world you deal with a uh, analog world you're going to deal with a weight measure like a triple beam scale or a rcbs 1010 scale that's what i've used for years i think they're amazing the electronic scales have come a long way when they first came out i didn't care for them but the new ones i've seen rcbs and so forth they've really come a long way and they have a lot of great features and they can speed things up for you dramatically so again, you have one, one version you can use without electricity and another version with electricity. It's always a good way to go if you're able to do that. And the newer electronic scales are way better than they were 10 years ago. Uh, so anyway, that's in, in my, been in my experience. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this show. And remember, contact your congressperson about HR 127. Shut that down. Just shut it down. Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check us out on Gab.com. We're making our move over there because fake book has had its day. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.